Welcome to the Warriors of Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. Warriors of Grace is about helping men from generation to generation become gospel men in private, in the home, in the church, and in public through the Word of God. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Welcome back to the Warriors of Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And men, we're in the middle of a series titled The Providence of God, Suffering, and Trials. This is episode 8 in this series, and it's titled The Character of God, Suffering, and Trials. And this, this right here is an episode that, to be honest, I could probably spend like the last one last week, I could have I could have gone probably a good hour, maybe longer, talking to you about these things. And let me just say something. Hebrews 13, 5 and 8 tell us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is such, such good news for us. We don't we don't even begin to, to scratch the surface of God's unchanging nature. We understand some of it in as it's taught in the Word. We understand some of it because we know how the Lord has right worked in our lives. And so we know that He is faithful, that He's true, that He's good, and that he, He's holy, and that He's just. And yet, what I want to do in this series is I want to, not just for you to know those truths in your head, but for those truths to really pierce your heart today. You see, it's not to to know something in the Bible isn't just to have it fill your head. To know it is to know it in an experiential way. If you were to read the Reformers and the Puritans, especially the Puritans, they would give you causes and they would give you application after application of the doctrine that they had set forth. And, you know, many of you probably know the truth, but you might not know how to take it home into your life. And this is one of those topics that when you drill down into it, it is profoundly encouraging. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about that today. In Job 3.15, Job says, Though he slay me, yet uh, yet I will hope in him. Job's famous words, they summarize the posture that we should have towards the Lord when we suffer. In fact, further instruction on how to maintain this posture comes from a surprising source, Elihu. In Job 32, Job's comforters, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar have exited stage left and a brand new younger man entered stage right, burning with anger because Job justified himself and Job's friends found no answer for him in Job 32, 1-3. Now commentators are deeply divided over these speeches about Elihu and his four speeches that we see in Job's 32, Job 32-37. through Some have even dismissed him altogether as repeating the same point of view as Job's friends. Suffering is reaping what you've sown, no more, no less. Other commentators believe Elihu is adding something new to the conversation. 
John Calvin saw the answer to the problem of suffering in Elihu. Elihu begins well and ends badly. We can be honest about that. He begins by teaching us something new about the purpose of suffering, but he ends by repeating the same old story. And yet along the way, what he teaches us about trials can help us profoundly when we suffer. At first, here's the first thing that Elihu teaches us. Trials are not a reason to question the character of God. Raise your hand right now, wherever you are, if that's you. It's easy to do. It's easy to point the finger when we're going, point the finger at God, when we're going through difficulty, when we're going through challenges, and yet that's exactly the wrong thing to do. Because what we need to do is to take ourselves in the hand and do what Proverbs 42 tells us and to hope in God. Not to hope in my circumstances, not to hope in my marriage, not to hope in whatever promotion or advance or raise or whatever or circumstance or sports team and on and on. But we need to take ourselves in the hand like the psalmist did in Psalm 42 and to remind ourselves to hope in the Lord, to remember the character of God. And this is why trials are not a reason to question God's character. Job 34, 12 says, Of a truth, God will not do wickedly, and the Almighty will not pervert justice. Whatever the answer to the problem of pain and suffering is, it cannot be an answer at the expense of the character of God. It cannot be at the expense of the justice of God, the integrity of God, the righteousness of God in Christ. God's character does not change, and so our suffering must fit what we know about God's character. It's an uncompromising truth. It is a truth that cannot in any way, shape, or form be altered in order to understand our suffering. Of a truth God will not do wickedly, our text says. This statement deals with the character of God, but also has to do with the love of God in the character of God. The answer to the problem of suffering is not merely that God is sovereign or that God cannot sin. Everything that God does, he does out of the principle of his goodness. And when we suffer, we can't question that. In fact, we can look at the Bible. There's a... There's a Hebrew word, if you look it up, it's hesed. It's the covenant love of God. Almost, it's so important to understand because it what it does is it expresses God's loyalty, his faithfulness, and how he will always act in accordance with his revealed word. And the more that the more that you drill down on that idea. Think about that for a minute. The whole entire Old Testament had one point and one goal, and that it points forward to and tells us what to look for, as Isaiah 53 does, and Psalm 22, and Genesis 3.15 tells us, and many more texts tell us about the one who would suffer under the, under the sentence of death in our place and for our sin. You see real suffering in the narrative 
of the life of the people of Israel. Sometimes it was because, you know, sometimes it was because they were under discipline. They had broken the law. They were living in open defiance against God. And sometimes, you know what? They're following the Lord and there's unjust suffering. And yet, whether it's discipline, divine discipline, whether it's unjust suffering, the Lord is still good. Maybe in the last few years you've lost a friend or a family member. And you know what? I can tell you in October 2021, I lost my dear mentor who meant so much to me. And I had to remind myself over and over and over again of God's goodness, of God's faithfulness, of not impugning the character of God. There's two things, more things, that Elihu does to help us understand the problem of suffering. Elihu sees suffering as instructive. Part of the reason why God permits suffering in our lives is because he actually wants to teach us something. The the question is, are we paying attention? And the second point that we're going to talk about here is trials teach us about who we are. In the prologue to the book of Job, we have God's assessment of his character. He was a godly man. He shunned evil. He was in every way a model believer. But that doesn't mean to say that Job is sinless throughout the course of the book. In the course of his suffering, something of Job's sinful character emerges in a way that isn't flattering about him. See, suffering can lead us to see ourselves. Job 36, 15, Elihu says, God delivers the afflicted by their affliction and opens their ear by adversity. You see, suffering can open your ears. It can teach you things about yourselves. It teaches you what you're capable of. In the course of a trial, in your response to suffering, it can manifest things about you that you wouldn't have believed were possible. Sin can manifest itself in the course of the trial, even if it isn't the cause of the trial. Wisdom is found in God and submitting to God and submitting to his ways. Trials help remind us that his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And so when we suffer, we need to rest in him. And when difficulty comes our way, oftentimes, let's be honest, men, our response isn't the best. We respond with unjust anger. We point our finger at God. We question and impugn the goodness of God. We question God's right to to treat us this way. We forget that we are made and we are held in the palms of a sovereign God who could but say poof and we would cease to exist. We forget, my point is, that we are his creatures to mold and to shape as he pleases. And when this happens, we are apt to take up, are we apt to take up a cross and follow the Lord Jesus? That's what Jesus said. In Luke 9, 23 through 27, take up the cross and follow him. Deny yourself, deny your rights, your privileges, your status, whatever is God's will as described in the word. Do that and follow Christ. Third thing is trials teach us about who God is. While it's true that trials can bring to light lessons that otherwise you would not have learned about your sin, even this can be considered a sign of the mercy and the grace of God. The author of Hebrews talks about discipline as an aspect of our trials when it says this. 
in Hebrews 12, 5 through 7. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as son? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when you reprove by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there to whom his father does not discipline? God, if you are united to Christ by faith in his name, God isn't punishing you as though you're an unbeliever, as though you were mere pawns in a vast machine of the cosmos where there was no rhyme or reason to it. God is treating you like sons. Yes, it's painful. Yes, it hurts. But if God is disciplining you, it's because he loves you. It's because you are adopted by him. It's because you are united to him by faith in his name. He loves you. And through discipline, he's conforming you more and more into the image of his son, Jesus. Through trials, God is leading you to appreciate more and to be thankful for his mercy. Now, Elihu stresses the sovereignty of God. Job also believed in the sovereignty of God, but what are the implications of the sovereignty of God? It means that we don't have a right to all the answers for our suffering. Elihu begins well. He identifies an area of difficulty in Job's struggle for answers. And yet over the course of his speech, he's blustering and brash. He doesn't teach us, however, he does, however, I mean, teach us something about suffering as a way God's instruct us, as a way to bring about a fresh realization of who we are, of who God is and what life is about. Job 28, 12, Job asks the question, where shall wisdom be found? And the answer is wisdom is found in submitting to God and submitting to his ways. Trials help remind us that the ways of God are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And so when we suffer, when we go through difficulties, let us trust the Lord. Let us remember that all of the ways of the Lord are good and holy and just and perfect. And let us do you know, after Paul says that in Philippians 4.8 to, to think on what is right and good and noble and true in the word, he says to think. And the word think is, is the word meditate. It's, it's to consider, it's to remind ourselves over and over and over again. In Psalm 1-2, where the, the psalmist says that the godly are those who meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. Those things... That word meditate means to take yourself by the hand and to remind yourself of the truth of the Lord. It means to talk to yourself. It means to mutter. It has to do with taking the truth of Scripture and doing like Psalm 42 says and reminding ourselves to hope in the Lord. And it looks like opening up the Scripture and maybe even reading it out loud to yourself over and over and over and over again until you believe the truth that you're reading. Hebrews 4.15 is a wonderful passage that I often do this with on my hard days. I, I remind myself, here is the Lord. He is my high priest. And he invites me. He understands everything that's going on. He knows all of it. Nothing is beyond his gaze. Nothing is beyond his knowledge. He sees it all. He sees the motivation of my heart. And he invites me to find help in time of need. He invites me to come. He summons me to come. 
and to bring my need, to bring my struggles, to bring my hurt before the Lord. In the midst of suffering and trials, we have a great need to do this. These trials, as J.C. Ryle said, they dig up things in our lives. They expose things in our lives, weaknesses and frailties and problems and issues. You can't live in this post-fall world and not have trouble. Jesus promised us in John 16, 33, that in this world you will have tribulation. You will have hardship. You will have difficulty. And the Lord will be with you. I said at the beginning of this episode that we were going to talk about drilling down and not just having a mere intellectual knowledge, more knowledge of the Lord, but drilling down. And this is this is where we go. Trials dig up things in our lives. They show us the remaining sin in our lives. They challenge us. They confront us with our weakness, with our frailty, with our struggles, with the issues of life. And we're reminded in the midst of our trials that we have a good and a faithful and a just and a holy God. How are you doing at taking the truth of God's word home to your heart? You know, Jonathan Edwards is considered the the greatest theologian that the America has ever produced, but he's also one of the best pastors that America has ever produced. And you know what he used to do? He used to go out and study nature. That seems like a weird thing, but if you think about it, it's really not. He was getting out to get some fresh air, to study something else. I, I, uh, I enjoy my other thing that I, one of the things I enjoy is I enjoy reading about sports of all kinds. I, I do enjoy the news. But, I mean, that is subservient to my love for Scripture and theology and, and the Lord. There was a time in my life where that wasn't in order. As a teenager, where I spent more time on the golf course and caring about that than I did anything else. Those days have come and gone. But there's nothing wrong with as Edwards did, going out into nature, studying nature, and his sermons are full of examples of nature. But I'm convinced, as I've read Edwards now for many years, he was a master of the heart. He knew he knew the proclivities of his heart. You know, the, the, the Puritan theologians were masters of the heart. They kept the heart. John Flavel He wrote a book on keeping the heart, just as one example. They were concerned, as the book book of Proverbs is, in Proverbs 4.23, I mean, Proverbs 4.23, to guard our heart with all due diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Because when God is, through Christ, comes, and he irresistibly draws us to himself, 
And we are brought to the, through the door of conversion by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. As the Spirit uh, uses the Word and brings conviction and the hope of the Gospel to bear in our lives, we are brought from death then to life. We are, as Paul said, transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. And so in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our suffering, we have the character, as Paul said in Philippians 4.8, God is altogether good. He's altogether lovely. He's altogether just. He's altogether perfect. He's unchanging. Hope in God, as Psalm 42 says. Take yourself by the hands. And remind yourself again and again of his faithfulness to you. If you need to think about your possessions, think about the place that you live. Think about the provision that goes into providing for it. Think about all the many ways that God has met that need for you. And then think about all the many ways in which it went in that went into you being able to get to that point. From point A, from your from your apartment or your house, your condo, to the place that you work, and back every day. Think of all the places that you go to the store. Do you pause and give thanks to the Lord for that? And when was the last time you were truly grateful for that? Or do you just coast through life and things are okay and you wonder, what is God doing? Trials remind us that we are not the sovereign. That we are the creature. And we are in need of the creator. We are in need of the Lord. We are in need of his grace. Trials do not have a bad aim for us as children of God. If you're united to Christ by faith in his name, trials have a good purpose. That purpose, as Paul says in Romans 8, 28, is to conform us into the image of Christ, to help us to grow, to be more like Christ. And the Spirit is taking the means of grace and He's helping us to grow. That's why I need you and you need me, why Proverbs says iron sharpens iron. We need to do life with one another. I need you to encourage me, as Hebrews 3.13 says. And I need to encourage you, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our trials, to look up, as Hebrews 12 says, to the author and the finish of our faith. Well, men, as I said at the beginning, there is so much to say about this, and there still is. But until next week, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Warriors of Grace podcast. If you enjoyed the show today, please subscribe, leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you want to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or search Servants of Grace on Facebook. 
You can also find our show on the front page of the website, servantsofgrace.org. 